0: We are uh, in the middle of a sermon series in the book of Mark. So I'm glad that you guys are here. If you've been here the whole time, you know uh, we've been working through what now uh, is Jesus' ministry. And so we're kind of trudging through that. We know that Mark writes really concise, he doesn't give a whole lot of details. So what's there is important. Um, So a lot of times we'll have short, short sections. Today we got a little bit bigger section. Uh, We're going to be in Mark 6, verses 30 to 56. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open those up. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you'd be blessed by one, we have some on our grab-a-Bible table back there. I want to invite you to grab one of those and make that your own. Let that be a gift from us to you. Uh, But we will also have the words up here on the screen so you can follow along there also. Jesus is doing ministry, and uh, people are placing their faith in him or their trust in him. Uh, Some of them don't know exactly what that means. Actually, I would argue that most of them don't, including the disciples. Uh, But they're starting to believe Jesus, believe that he is different. Uh, There's something unique about him. He's drawing people unto himself through his teaching, then also through some healing uh, and the miracles that he is performing for people. Uh, And so people are starting to come and they're starting to see uh, what it's like to to listen to, to put faith into Jesus. And so today we're going to see Jesus talking a little bit about, or these stories talking about faith in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus, and then also that Jesus brings rest to those who place their faith in him. Uh, It's a couple of unique stories that are going to work together. Mark does this quite often uh, where he'll touch on one story and then something else, and and it fits together kind of like a sandwich. And I I think we're going to see that today as we move forward. So we're going to start out uh, reading in Mark 6, verse thirty follow along with me. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that had uh, that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went Away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So, this had to be such a, an amazing reunion. If you remember last week, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. We talked about team ministry and the importance of that. We talked about uh, ministry in general, getting out there and, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And here, the disciples were doing some healing. They were doing some casting out of demons. And, and Jesus uh, has this sort of a reunion. As the, the disciples were coming back, they were sharing stories. They were telling them about everything that they had done and that they had taught. And, and, and I think the disciples were pretty pumped. They were pretty excited about this. They were starting to understand why Jesus was there. They were starting to have a ministry that mirrored Jesus. They were able to, to do a lot in his name. We don't know how much time they spent on the first mission. Uh, it's not recorded anywhere, so we don't know how long that they were out, what towns they went to. But here it just says the apostles returned to Jesus. Right? And 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 He says to them something that's kind of interesting if you look at it. It says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So we know that the disciples had gone out. Jesus had given them instructions on how to do ministry. They had gone out and done ministry. They had come back. And now Jesus is saying, hey, you need a little bit of time uh, by yourself, away from work. And I don't know about you, but I remember back when I first got out of college, I did a little bit of construction work. Um, when I was still in high school, I did a little bit of painting uh, for a guy in the area. And I remember that on breaks or on lunch, I would always want to like go to my car you know, and then I could eat a little bit of food and, 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 and turn on the radio to whatever I wanted to listen to instead of having to listen to what everybody else was listening to. And it was like this little getaway. It was a little bit of a break in the midst of a day. Well, here they had been ministering for a long period of time, and Jesus is saying, you need to get away for a little while so that you can, you know, get, get some rest and get yourself ready for more ministry, because Jesus was very wise, and so his teachings are things that we need to continue to look at and say, okay, well, what was he teaching, and how does that apply to me? And, and, and following this period of ministry, or we could even argue a period of work, or, or whatever it might look like for you, Jesus pushes forth uh, uh, the idea of rest so that they could be rejuvenated, right? And then also, very important, there's a time to reconnect with God. Now, Mark even notes that, that so many people were coming and going that they had no leisure even to eat. Now, I don't know exactly what that means because I think of leisure, I think of it almost as a description of the way I spent leisurely afternoon or I have some leisure time or whatever that might work. Here, it's, it's kind of an interesting way that he writes this. They had no leisure So I could assume that would mean the downtime, the relaxing time, time to themselves. But it says even to eat. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I can't imagine that, all right? I need my food. Uh, You know, I need to get up in the morning. I need to eat a little bit of something, get myself going, right? And then in the afternoon, if I haven't had anything for lunch, I I need something to keep me going, and then dinner time. Here, these disciples had so much going on. There were so many people coming to them with their sick, with their needs that they didn't even have time to eat. So Jesus says, you need to get on a boat and and go to a desolate place, right? Go by yourself. We need to get you out of here. So we're going to pick up the story Here in verse 33, it says, now many saw them going. They were in a boat. They were leaving. They were trying to get away. And it says that many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So I don't know who leaked where they were going exactly. But that person uh, probably shouldn't know in the future if they really are trying to get away for a while. But people heard that they were going and they got there ahead of them. When he went ashore and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So this is kind of hilarious, right? Jesus and his disciples are trying to get away. And yet they can't get away from the crowds. People are literally running on foot to get to where they were trying to escape to in the boat. Now you can understand how frustrated these disciples may have been. They were trying to get away, to spend some time alone, to get to rest, to get to eat, and then to spend some time with God, and these crowds keep showing up. Uh, I don't know about you, if you go on vacation, the last thing you want to see when you look at your cell phone when it's ringing is somebody from work that probably has a question, right? You want, you're want you trying to get away from that. Why is this person calling me? I gave them all the information that they needed, right? If you're a, a teacher and you have a substitute for the day because you're not feeling well or you just need a break, you don't want that person calling you at home to ask questions, right? You're trying to get away. And here we see Jesus and his disciples trying to escape, trying to get away, and yet the crowds just keep following them and even though i may have been frustrated you may have been frustrated if it was you look at jesus response it was not frustration was it when he went ashore he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd now scripture is chock full of references to us human beings you and i being compared to sheep okay so this shouldn't be anything new to you uh, if you've gone to church for any amount of time. And, and the truth is sheep aren't uh, in real life. So again, Jesus knew what he was doing here. Sheep aren't the smartest animal, right? They need a good shepherd, right? Um, they just kind of mull around with really no purpose at all. They rely on their shepherd to lead them to where they could feed and fill their bellies. They don't have any awareness of any danger that could be around. Again, that's why the shepherds were there, were to protect their sheep, right? To, to beat off any animal that might be trying to come and pick off one of the, the weakest, right? So there was no gu- if they have no guidance, they're going to probably scatter and disperse. And so Jesus sees these people as sheep and he knows that he is the good shepherd. Sheep would tend to wander off maybe alone with no fear when they should have fear. Survival. These sheep couldn't make those decisions by themselves. Sheep need leadership. And Jesus knew all these things. So I don't know about you, but as I went through that list, those descriptors, it does sound a little bit like humans, right? I mean, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we think we have a good head. We think we know where we're going. We think we've planned, uh, you know, in a, in a smart way. And yet a lot of times we make some silly decisions, some unwise decisions, and we need the leadership and the guidance and the direction that God can bring to us. Scripture is also full not only with references to us as being sheep, but to God as being the good shepherd. He gives us life. He gives us purpose. He provides for us. He guides us and protects us for our good. He disciplines us. Right, corrects us. Use the hook of the uh, of the staff to pull us back in. Right, get us back in when we wander off if we are to survive, you and I, we desperately need to come under the good shepherd's care and leadership. Jesus recognizes all these things and more as he, as he looks at this crowd. So even though they were trying to get away, Jesus sees this crowd and he has compassion on them. Beautiful sheep, beautiful sheep. So even though a lot of those characteristics are you and I, if we truly are honest with ourselves, that doesn't stop Jesus, the good shepherd. It doesn't stop him from looking at you and loving you. With all the things that you can do wrong, all the mistakes that you make, all the rebellion and sin that you still struggle with, he knows you and he loves you. And so that look that Jesus had of compassion on this crowd, on these people, is the same look that he looks at you with today. Jesus, the good shepherd, loves you. And, and for us, in a humble way, as Kevin and I were prepping this sermon, uh, we, we were talking about that we, uh, as pastors, are, are called as shepherds. So we know that we're sheep, too. It's a weird uh, thing that does work together. But in all humility, uh, we want to strive as leaders, Dave and myself and Kevin and, and Drew, pastors of the Grace Work Church, to be shepherds like the great shepherd and to have compassion for you but also for our community and for those hurting in the community. And even you as sheep, I would say uh, that that there is an opportunity for you to grow in that area, to become more like your shepherd, and to have eyes filled with compassion. He doesn't send them away, though. Uh, It says here that he begins to teach them many things. And, and, And when it grew late... Right? So here Jesus and the disciples they wanted to get away and instead the crowd follows them and so Jesus does what he does best. He starts teaching them and when it grew late the disciples came to him and said, "This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat." The disciples see a need. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is speaking. People are engaged and it gets late. So the disciples come to Jesus and say, we got to let these people go. They need to go because they need to get into these communities, into these villages, get themselves some food. They've been here all day. Most of them probably weren't ready for this day-long event. You guys get upset if I go 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Jesus was going all day, right? And these families didn't have everything that they needed. We've got a big crowd here, Jesus, right? There's no Chick-fil-A. You didn't park in that parking lot, right? No, nobody can go get food. Where are they going to eat? How are they going to eat? But what they say is more of a command than an inquiry. Look at that. What they say is more of a command. Send them away, Jesus. We know better, right? Same way that we go to God sometimes if we're honest. Send them away to go to the countryside, to the the, the villages, to the towns, so that they can buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them. So Jesus speaks, you give them something to eat. (laughs) And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat, and he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they they had found out that they, they came to him and said, We have five and two fish. Jesus answers his disciples. He says, You give them something to eat. He doesn't say, You're right, your observation is correct, your fear is justified, right? He's going to use this as an example to teach his disciples. You give them something to eat. That's my plan. Now remember, the disciples may have been a little bit tired of these people, a little bit frustrated. They were trying to get away, and this large crowd comes. But Jesus knew that they needed to hear what he had to say. After all, they were sheep without a shepherd. And what he offered was the bread of life that actually feeds the soul. So this was... It was a far bigger need being fulfilled than just simple sustenance. But, but the disciples saw an obstacle, a great one to overcome. Uh, they, they, they couldn't believe that Jesus said, go and feed them. So look what the way they respond. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and, and give it to them to eat? Now, I had no clue, even though I've heard it before, I had no clue how much money this was. I can assume it was a lot. We talk about the 5,000 you know, being what he fed, which a little bit later we'll actually see it's closer to probably ten to 20,000 people there. But a denarii was apparently a, a fair day's wage. So this was an amount of money that the, the disciples would have understood, that Jesus knew, people in the crowd would have understood. So let's equate that to dollars. Now, people's wages differ right? Even sitting here, a lot of us make a different amount of money depending on what you do. Um, And and, and there is a a great range in the United States. But if you looked at the average American and what they make it about $172 a day times 200, Jesus, uh, the disciples say we need to spend 200 days wages the amount that they throw out there to feed this crowd was $34,400 that's a chunk of change we know that the men were the ones that were counted and in that day and age that's just how they did it they counted the men and then there was a, a, a they could you know do a little multiplication to figure out with the women and with the children um, you know and that's where we get that estimate between 10 and 20,000 hungry people and that would take a lot of money, a lot of food indeed. Uh, the logistics of how to buy that much food and distribute it would have been overwhelming, even to 12 disciples, 12 men. That's just, it's just too big of a crowd. Some of you have helped out in the years past uh, when we buy the food and when we, we cook the, the hot dogs to, uh, over at the rendering and Remember event, right? I thought of that this week. That's 2,000 people, right? And normally we have 35 or 40 of you guys helping out. There's a lot of prep to that. I start buying stuff on Friday. I pick up more on Saturday. We have church on Sunday, and I beg for you guys to come and help me, even though I don't need to beg because you always come and help me. And then Monday morning, we feed 2,000 people a hot dog, bag of chips, and water. But we are well prepared, and it still takes a lot of time, and it takes some money. I can't imagine trying to figure out how to feed 20,000 people who hadn't eaten all day. Jesus' plan is a lot simpler, but it requires a great amount of faith, what, what, what he says, right? It takes more faith to believe what Jesus is calling them to do. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, hey, we have not only five loaves of bread, but we also have two fish. Well, that's not going to be enough, thought the disciples. But Jesus has no obstacles, though, does he? There's absolutely nothing that's beyond his ability. And he's simply asking for the disciples and for your availability to be used. He can provide the rest. Let's move on here in verse 39. It says, Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the only miracle recorded in all four gospels besides the resurrection. This is no small thing. This is 100% impossible. And I think if you grew up in the church like I did, it's a story we've just taken for granted. That there was a large crowd and Jesus feeds them, right? And it was cute because the little boy comes up with his little five loaves and his couple of fish, and then Jesus feeds him. And, and so we lose in the familiarity this story, this miracle. And yet all four Gospels recorded this. Jesus sits down the people, right? ten to 20,000 people sit down, right? And then he asks a blessing. He just keeps breaking the loaves and dividing the fish, right? Don't worry if if you're paleo, right? There's fish here. We got fish, we got bread, we got it all here, right? And it says they ate until they were satisfied. Five loaves, two fish. When Jesus provides, he provides. Right there's not a hungry belly left in the crowd. There were actually leftovers. I don't know about you, but I, I, I like Thanksgiving coming around. I love leftovers. Right, I want to be able to eat some turkey and some stuffing the next day or the next week. Right, there's leftovers. Jesus saw the need of the people and he filled it. The disciples of Jesus, they, they needed to find rest from their ministry right? The disciple of Jesus needs to see people and feel compassion. The disciple of Jesus needs to see the needs of people and to seek to fill them. But most of all, the disciple of Jesus needs to have faith in Jesus. And that's what we see ringing true here in this story. Immediately, one of Mark's favorite words here, immediately he made the disciples get on the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, while he dismissed the crowds. And, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up into the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. Let's pause there really quick. Uh, there are a couple things worth pointing to at this time. We, we see Jesus take control of the situation. We see his plan being set into motion. He sends the disciples away. He dismisses the crowd. And then he goes to the mountain and, and prays. First of all, he sends the disciples away. He doesn't recommend that they leave. He commands that they leave. He, he sets into motion the disciples heading straight into the storm. Do you realize that? We'll see that here in a few verses. But Jesus had a plan, a purpose. A purpose that he wanted these men to learn from. They would, through the situation tonight, grow in their understanding of Jesus and his providence and his power. They would learn a lesson through the storm that that they couldn't be taught sitting on the hillside. The storms in our life are there for our benefit. We need them to fully learn and to understand, to grasp his faithfulness and to learn about our dependence on him we also see Jesus leave the task of dismissing this crowd 10 to 20,000 people uh, to himself he knows his disciples are tired and he says I'll take care of this right this is the same crowd that pressed in on him so hard a couple of chapters ago that he had to get in the boat remember that to keep preaching Because he was afraid for his life in some ways. I mean, they were crushing in on him, right? And he's like, I got to get in a boat. These people are, they're too many. They're crushing in on me. This crowd, the same crowd that had ideas of their own as to what Jesus should become for them. If you look over at the parallel story in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, this crowd at this moment wanted to make Jesus their king right? They had an idea and Jesus is like, no, nope, it's not the time. But Jesus says, I will dismiss this crowd, right? His plan is set in motion and they're not going to dictate the time or the place where Jesus would establish his kingdom here on this earth. But he took the responsibility. He didn't hop on the boat and take off and leave that for his disciples. Send, he sent them away he knew what needed to be done. Finally, we see him go to the mountain and pray. Mark only records three instances total where Jesus prays. Now, obviously, we know that he prayed more than three times, but the purposeful writing of Mark pens only three. The first was in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It was at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus prayed. Here we see this in the middle after he feeds the, the, the 5,000, we'll say, after he feeds the 5,000, he prays. He goes into the mountain to pray. And then we'll see it at the end of his earthly ministry when he goes into the, the garden in Gethsemane before he willingly walks that lonely road to the cross. Now, what can we learn from these times of prayer? Uh, is that Jesus prayed when he faced critical points in his ministry, in his life. Jesus prayed prayed it's what he does here he clears his schedule and he spends time with the father and what can we learn from that you and i i think i think we see jesus let his closest friends go into the storm knowing that through the trials they would learn the best right not sitting on the mountain and hearing him talk about trials we also see that he took on the hard work of dismissing the crowd and, 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 and that he was not going to allow the crowd to pressure him into a timetable that was not his. And that he prioritizes his time to make time for prayer during the most important times in his ministry, in his life. If time in and prayer and, and time of solitude were important to Jesus, we need to take a lesson from that in our own lives and make it a priority. How would your life look different if you prioritized some rest or if you prioritized some time in prayer? The disciples got ahead head start out to see Jesus got some much-needed time alone And that's where we pick up the story here in verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. I love when Scripture says that God sees, it's always so much deeper than just seeing with his eyes, seeing physically. Now, Jesus is up on the mountain. He's praying, right? And, and the fact that he sees them in and of itself is miraculous. It it shouts to Jesus' Godhead, right? He's not a a mere mortal man. He sees his friends and that they're struggling. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 and 6 a.m. So Jesus has dismissed the crowd. The disciples are heading out in the boat. It becomes evening. He's spending time with his father in prayer. It's dark. They're a long ways from each other. And again, he sees them with his shepherd eyes. He sees them the same way, same way that he sees you and I when we're struggling. He knows what you're going through. He has compassion on you. He, he knows how hard the sleepless nights are. He gets how painfully you are striving to get through whatever trial you're in the midst of. He knows that the wind... Is against you. And in about the fourth hour, the four I should say the fourth watch of night, he came to them. Jesus not only sees his disciples striving, but he comes to them. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushing spirit, says Psalms 34. So if you are feeling brokenhearted today, Jesus is near. If you are feeling crushed, Jesus is near. He comes to us to you and I in our distress, right? And he shows up huge the same way that he showed up to his disciples. He walked on the sea. This is crazy. There's so much conflict that can go on in our minds, our mere human minds, right? There's a conflict. A man cannot walk on water. I understand that Jesus does miracles and, and all those things like that and, and that he's God, but it's not rational, right and yet this story shows us Jesus Christ as God i think is as as clearly as any other some people want to quickly dismiss this uh, bible account and say it, it couldn't have happened it's mythology uh, it's a metaphor because there there's there's not a way to logically explain this after all men don't walk on water But men also don't rise from the dead. Right? Believe it or not, I agree, men can't walk on water, but God can. Men can't rise from the dead, but the Son of God did. God can do both, and he did. And Jesus, as God is is thrust into this section... We have to see him for who he is. Not just a powerful teacher that could command an audience. Not just a miracle worker of sorts. Now let's pause for a moment and look at the phrase he meant to pass by them. This is key to seeing Christ's godhood. At first, the phrase seems quite curious, right? Was he planning to pass them by and then, and then somehow get to the other side and surprise them, right? Wait, how did you get over there, Jesus, you know, or whatever? No, right? Jesus went, was going to walk by his disciples in the same manner that we see in the Old Testament when we consider when Moses wanted to see the glory of God. God passed by Moses in Exodus 33. Or in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see God passed by Elijah on Mount Horeb. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was intentional with what he was doing. He wanted his disciples to see him as God. You see where I'm going with this? When we look at these other stories, for God to pass by is is for him to reveal himself to someone in a special way. His glory to a man, or men in this case, in a special way. Jesus intended to pass by his precious disciples. He wanted to reveal to them his glory. He wants them to get a glimpse of his godhood, uh, but, but they don't get it necessarily if you look at this story, right? I mean, they don't get it, do they? The disciples are still learning. They're still learning to put their faith in Jesus, not only as a good teacher and a healer, but as God. They can't explain what they're seeing right now. I'm looking at these words again. It says, when they, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, And they cried out for they saw him and they were terrified. This is epic, right? Grown men, men, manly men, right? These guys, we've talked about them before. These are fishermen. These are strong men. These are men that use their hands, right? These were the toughest of the tough. They fished, they hunted, they worked out, they worked with their hands, right? And they're crying out loud. Oh my goodness, there is a ghost. Jesus doesn't leave them in fear for long, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart in his eye, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Immediately again, Mark's favorite word here, he spoke to them, take heart in I. eye, do not be afraid. I do appreciate that it was immediate. He didn't leave his disciples in fear. He got into the boat, and when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. This is the second time that there was a storm, a boat, and and Jesus miraculously stilling the waters. Jesus had purposefully sent them out to face his storm. We talked a little bit of that about that at the beginning. He had strategically let them go. He knew what was going to happen. But the disciples needed to learn that their faith in Jesus was not limited to space and time. Now, you and I, disciples of Jesus, right? We've been called to follow him. Just because you can't see Jesus doesn't mean that he cannot see you. It doesn't mean that you are striving and straining alone, that you're going through this situation by yourself, don't let your feelings rule you during these seasons of your life. Trust in Jesus. Choose to believe he sees you and he's with you and he's in control of the storm. The, the disciples here, their response shows they're still in process. They're trying to figure this out. They were astounded. for They didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. I think being astounded is both understandable and not understandable. They had just seen five loaves and two fish feed thousands. They had just seen that. They were in charge of collecting what was left over, right? Now interestingly enough, John Mark points this out, and I actually, Kevin and I, as we were studying this, we had to do a double take, like, do we copy something wrong here? Why, would, why is he bringing up the loaves again? Is this the right verse? Did we put it in the right spot? That was last night, and this is the next morning on, on the water in a boat. But John Mark connects these two stories for a reason. The miracles of the loaves and, and the fish should have given them the faith that they needed. It should have built in them. Something that would have allowed them in that storm to realize who Jesus was. And yet it didn't. When you are facing opposition, when you are facing strong winds blowing against you, whatever that might be, and you are tempted to fear or you are in fear right now, remember the miracles God has done in your life past. Remember the miracles that God has done. They may be small, but they're miracles, and each one of us can point to those miracles to strengthen our faith. Brothers and sisters, a lack of understanding leads to hardened hearts. That's what we see here. His disciples just didn't understand. They had witnessed the miracle, and yet they were still in fear. You and I can point to miracles in our lives, no matter how big or small they were, and those should give us the faith as we head into this next season, these next storms. Look back on what God has done in your life and seek understanding. We don't want to be hard-hearted like these disciples were. They saw the glory of God pass by them in the person of Jesus Christ. But they are still missing who he truly is. This section finishes up here. When they had crossed over and they came to land at Gethsemane and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people uh, on their beds, or or uh, to wherever they heard he was, and wherever he came in the villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that he might touch even that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Again, Mark ends this section in a in a unique uh, way. He points to what happened when they got to the other side. And more of the same greets Jesus and his disciples when he gets there. Jesus is recognized and the people run throughout the the countryside, the region. They start bringing the sick people on their beds to where he was heard. The touching of Jesus' garment, that story, remember, of the lady who had been bleeding for 12 years must have gotten around because these people, they knew, they trusted, they hoped with a confidence that they could just touch Jesus' garment and they would be healed. These verses are a, a, a fair summary describing this period of Jesus' ministry. Right? No matter where he went, people came to him. No matter how hard they looked for rest, for some time away, for an opportunity to eat, people came to him. Next week, we will, we'll see the religious leaders challenging Jesus yet again. And Jesus will give us more instruction there. And it will continue on. But faith in Jesus brings rest in Jesus. If you and I think about it, when our faith is in Jesus and it's in a, a proper place, a healthy place, we can rest assured. Because his promises are true.